The Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus went home, and the crowd came together again, so that Jesus and the disciples could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went outside to restrain him. For people were saying, he has gone out of his mind. And the scribes who had came down from, Israel, from Jerusalem said, he has Beelzebul. And by the ruler of demons, he casts out demons. And Jesus called to them, called to them, called them to him and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a dominion is divided against itself, that dominion cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against Satan and is divided, Satan cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then indeed the house can be plundered. Truly I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they, for they said he had, for they had said he has an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, "Your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you." And Jesus replied, "Who are my mother and my brothers?" And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You've been warned. Anyone else ever hear those words before? Any parents out there ever utter those words to your kids? Anyone ever not heed those fateful words? I know I have. And when the things that I was warned about eventually come to pass, the next thing I normally hear is, I told you so. And isn't that the worst? When you've been warned about the probable outcomes of your decisions, yet you do it anyways. And then you have to suffer the self-righteous lecture of the one who warned you and who was right all along. It's that terrible, defeated, humiliating feeling. And that's really how I relate to today's first lesson in 1 Samuel. We have the Israelites who are entering a new stage in their communal life. They're moving from a theocracy to a monarchy. In other words, from the time of Moses until this point in 1 Samuel when they elect Saul as their king. They've been operating under a system of government where they had no king and priests ruled in the name of God. So this change, this moment is huge, and we can't underestimate it. And it's clear from the displeasure of Samuel, Israel's judge, that he wasn't in agreement with this decision. So he takes his concerns to God, and he's probably hoping that God is going to put a stop to all of this. But God doesn't stop the change from happening. Instead, God tells Samuel to listen to the people. He says, do what the people want but also issue them a solemn warning, letting them know all of the ways in which a king would rule over them. So Samuel reports all of the words of the Lord. 
the ways in which a king will make their sons fight in the war economy. Their daughters will be taken to work menial jobs. Their fields will be seized, and the king will give it to his friends. He'll also take one-tenth of their harvest and give that to his friends, too. He'll take their property and use it for his own gain. And ultimately, they will be the king's slaves. So with that warning from God, what do the Israelites do? They elect Saul as their king. And that got me to thinking, what was it that could compel these Israelites to disregard even a warning from God? The text somewhat makes it sound like they just wanted to be like all the other nations who also had kings. But I think there's more to that. I think we need to understand that Israel during this time was not exactly just safe and sound. They were facing very real threats, and one very real threat in this moment from the Philistines. So their desire for a king reflects their desire for safety. They think that this king will be a display of strength to the rest of the world, something tangible that doesn't require faith. But as God's warning tells the Israelites and us this morning, kings don't come free. So things don't really work out that well for Israel under King Saul. Spoiler alert, King Saul dies in battle against the Philistines. So that's our cue, right? This is our chance to tell Israel, we told you so. God told you so. Come on now, they had a warning from God. They definitely got what they deserved, right? Right? Well, I don't know. Should it give us a good feeling in our gut, knowing that the Israelites got what they deserved for not heeding God's warning? Really, how can we read about these Israelites and feel justified simply by saying, well, they were warned. Now they're getting what they deserve. How can we feel that sense of justification when we know that we haven't exactly always gotten what we deserve? We know that God's grace known to us through Jesus Christ has given us something that we know we will never experience what it means to get what we deserve. And let's be honest. Would any of us be here today if we always got what we deserve? I think we know on a deep level that we've experienced grace upon grace many times when we didn't deserve it. Yet when we see others making bad decisions, especially when they've been warned, we feel righteously justified when things don't turn out in their favor and they get their due. <clears throat> and I think I saw this most clearly after the election of Donald Trump. Many of his supporters have put their full faith into his promises for jobs and health care and most importantly, like the Israelites, for safety. But when things aren't going as promised, there's been somewhat of a collective sense of disappointment. We've even began to see the hashtag Trump regrets trending. And right on cue, those who were sounding alarms about Donald Trump and his presidency, they came in with their self-righteousness, and they celebrated the pain of these folks who had been conned. I read things like, Trump supporters are learning their lesson now. Or I heard people say, I, I don't care who voted for Trump, they don't deserve to have their health care. I don't feel bad for them at all. But this had me, a progressive, cringing and shifting in my seat. Because I saw fellow progressives who couldn't see past their own self-righteousness, and they began to mirror the 
injustice that they've been fighting. And if we're being really honest, we know that this is a world that is marred by racism and sexism, homophobia, transphobia, Islamophobia, xenophobia. So the concept of people getting what they deserve is a dead concept from the beginning. Because fairness and justice have become so twisted, so distorted, and so broken that we can no longer accept a formulaic understanding of this much work plus this many good decisions equals this much reward. That just doesn't compute in our broken world. And I think these realities have to go deep into our conscience and convict us so that we can develop an immunity to the tempting message of strong men who claim to be the only ones who can fix it, the only ones who can protect us or save us from death. Unless that one we put our faith in is Jesus, we might as well be asking for more war, more inequality, and more injustice. If we have any hope of experiencing here and now a new heaven and a new earth, we must stake our lives on God's powerful love that addresses injustice, that forgives sin, and that ultimately resurrects our world that is bound by powers of death and destruction. And if you have power and privilege in this world, like me, because of the color of our skin, or our gender identity, or our sexuality, or our ability, we can't stake our lives on this world-changing love if we start in a place of guilt. We must start in a place of grace. Starting in this place roots our understanding that everything has come from God and is the result of not of our own work our own good decisions, but solely from God. And from this place, we are opened, we are softened, and we are formed by God's love and grace. In this place, we are awakened to the potential for pain if we seek after kings, because we have experienced something from our one true Savior that the world cannot offer. Peace. It's a peace that comes from God. It's a peace that the Israelites wanted. And ultimately, I believe it's what both progressives and those who voted for Trump want. But as long as our judgment is clouded and our decisions as to how to get that peace, as long as that is clouded by fear, we will continue to put our faith in flawed systems, in empty idols, and in impotent kings. And as long as we do that, we will continue to know the absence of this is the truth that God made plain to the Israelites. And it's a warning that we today as well should be wise to heed. But there's also an even greater truth. There's an even greater truth than that, and it's that even when we don't heed God's warning, God's perfect love is still casting out all fear. God's love is still restoring our judgment and resurrecting our dead and dying world. Staking our lives on this love and rooting our actions in God's grace, known to us through Christ, it's the only way to ultimately experience what we all seek, peace. So when God says, you've been warned, and we fail to hear that warning, God doesn't say to us, I told you so. God says, I still love you. And God invites us to experience anew. 
love and grace. 